Welcome back to Social Soul Podcast. I'm Haley. And I'm Jess. And before we get into today's episode, we want to do some life updates for you guys because it's been a hot minute since we've dropped an episode. Yeah, we took Um, a short little break. Yeah, short little break, much needed break. I just feel like it gets so hard since we are still editing the podcast to like keep up with like recording and editing every single week to release episodes. So I feel like this gave us like a little break, less pressure. A little summer break. Yeah, because we last, both got a lot of shit summer. going on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay, let's uh, start with you. Well, I have an exciting one, which actually is when you guys listen to today's episode, I feel like you'll like appreciate this life update a little bit. Um, so Cactus & Co., which is my business, if you don't know, an indoor plant store on Camino Island, we um, were nominated for Business of the Year Awards, like local you. On Camino Island. Yeah. Um, so we got the news earlier this month and we were nominated actually for all four categories. So like Businesswoman of the Year, Entrepreneur of the Year, Dustin was nominated for Businessman of the Year, and then we were nominated for Business of the Year. Voting is open like through the end of the month. So that is really exciting. I like just love it. I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> I'm very excited. I will say I saw that the nominations were open and I put you guys into every category. I'm not saying that I rigged this by any means. I'm just saying I was part of (laughs) the nominations. (laughs) And I will say I sent this to everybody I know and was like, you better nominate them as well. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, okay. So you nominated us or you voted for us? Well, both. I did both sections. I did the nominations and then I went back and put my votes in as well. Oh, so. well, thank you. That Of course. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, I was definitely excited. This is something that I like had written down in my planner. I was like, okay, these awards are coming up. This is when the nominations open. This is when the voting opens. Um, so yeah, I was really hoping for this, I guess we'll say. Hell yeah. You guys deserve it. You honestly do. I mean, you guys put so much time and effort into that place and like not even just the plant shop, but like everything outside of that too. You guys definitely fucking deserve businesswoman and businessman of the year. Well, um, also exciting news for you business-wise. I don't know if you had planned to actually mention this, but do you want to just jump into it? Oh, I was like, what are you talking about? Hello. Exciting okay, okay, okay. news. Okay, yeah. <laughs> exciting news. I finally found a creative outlet for myself. Um, I've always been a very creative person and I've kind of struggled to find that exact outlet for myself. I've tried a lot of different ways um, to satisfy it and kind of gone in and out of things, but I did shrooms one weekend recently and (laughs) the day after I did the shrooms, I woke up in an extremely creative state of mind, which is exactly why I did them. Just if you aren't familiar with shrooms, this is something that happens regularly for people. They get like this creative burst afterwards, Um, which is funny because I actually felt nauseous this entire day from doing the shrooms, but Uh like my brain was just like on fire. My stomach was on fire, but my brain was also on fire in a good way. That's so cool. And I just sat at my laptop all day long on that Sunday and I just busted out a bunch of just digital print art um and then I was like shit I just made like all of this random art I should probably like 
try to sell this or do something with it. And I didn't really know that this was a thing actually, but Etsy, you can actually sell digital downloads. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a physical actual thing. I didn't know that until this day after I had created all of these like prints. I created it because I have this empty ass apartment and I'm trying to like decide on like what kind of art to buy to put on my walls and I can't make a fucking decision. So I was like, okay, here I am. Let's just make your own goddamn wall art. And like, that's how they all came about. I love that you're creative (laughs) enough to do that. (laughs) I was so excited that I like figured out something like that. Um, But I do have an Etsy shop now. Um, Check out that shop. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm so proud of you and happy for you. And I love the name. Oh, Monsoon Mystic, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Super cute. Um, So yeah, check that out, you guys. She sent me a print. I've got it framed. I just need to hang it up. So. And I got one printed of a mic that I made. So. You have it printed? Yeah. You got to show me after the recording. Okay. Okay. I need to see it. Um. Were you planning to mention that? No, I wasn't even thinking about that, to be okay. honest. So thank so you. So do you want to go you, in? This is why you're my co-host, so that I don't forget important things. Like your new business? <laughs> um, do you want to go into any other life updates? I mean, I got more, but I feel like you should go first. We'll go back and forth here. Well, I just got back from a wedding in Texas this last weekend, which was fun. It was just like a few day trip. Um, and we literally just went for the wedding, but that was awesome. Uh, we rented like a Tesla, which nice. was kind of like a cool experience. Um, it's nice because it's not like technically a rental car. It's like a Turo is what it's oh, called. Oh yeah. I've heard of So this. it's like somebody literally drove the car to the airport and like picked us up. They were like tracking our flight. So they knew when we would be there. And then when we drove back to the airport, he met us at the airport at, like, freaking 5 a.m. to, like, grab his car. And if you've rented a rental car, you know it can be a nightmare to, like, mm-hmm. take the shuttle, freaking wait in, like, an hour-long line to even see a representative. Then they, like, try to sell you the insurance, and then you're, like, just fucking tired by the end of it. So it was a cool experience. Um, how did that work with him dropping it off at the airport? Did he have somebody else picking him up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. He, um, somebody <laughs> followed him and then he just got into that, into that car. Wouldn't it have been funny if he like drove it to the airport, picked you guys up and was like, okay, can you guys drop me off at home on your way out? That would have, yeah, that would have been funny. I don't I mean, know. It made sense. I wouldn't have blamed him. Yeah. It was funny though, because then we drove to in and out and then he was at in and out with his friends. <laughs> so we're like oh hey you're like are we supposed to buy you a burger since we're driving your car what do we do he was in line in front of us they had already ordered so like at least we didn't have to like figure that shit out that's so awkward for some reason it sounds awkward it really wasn't And you went for a friend's wedding to Texas. Yes. Yeah. Um, which the last episode we released was about drinking less at weddings. So that was cool. Um, the venue was like really pretty. So it was in Texas, but it was like in the middle of the woods, it kind of felt like. 
Um, it was, yeah, it was a really cool wedding venue. Very fun wedding. Um, it was really fucking hot. Like, <laughs> Dustin was, like, literally sweating through his shirt during the ceremony. And, like, all the guys have, like, suit jackets on, you know? Yeah. So, um, it's so yeah, humid pretty- in Texas, too. Yeah. It like- didn't feel that bad. But then it got windy. And then my dress is literally, like, bl- I'm, like, having to hold my fucking dress down. <laughs> like nothing worse (laughs) yeah but it was actually cool too because I bought a dress from Revel West for the wedding and then Kayla the owner of Revel West was at the wedding so she was like good dress and I was like thanks (laughs) oh that's amazing I love that yeah that's like that's such like a full circle moment (laughs) I know well it was I kind of thought like figured she would be there um so yeah I just yeah, I guess I didn't know that they knew each other, but then obviously you know them better, so that would make yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. that's oh, how that's I cute. know her. So, And if you guys don't know who Revel West is, um, they're, it's amazing clothing store, online, boutique. We love all of their clothes, so you guys definitely got to check them out. Yeah, yeah. When we landed at home on – it was like Monday morning. Oh, yeah, um, okay. Landed at the airport, and I was so fucking happy because – like, after we grab our baggage, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the bathroom, like, just in case I have to pee. We have a long drive home. And I, like, go sit down to pee, and then I literally start my period, like, <laughs> right then. And I'm like, fucking, this is, like, the best thing ever. Like, I feel like people, like, complain about their periods all the time. But I feel like, shout out to my period for, like, being consistent, starting in the morning. Like, I don't know. Did you wear a tampon on the plane just in case? No. No. Wow. No, You're exactly. just out here wilding out. I'm out here fucking, yeah. <laughs> My body is like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like you never really get that lucky, but I feel like no, I you do. Don't. So. You That's yeah. amazing though, because like, I feel like flying triggers my period for me so if I'm close to like starting my period and I fly somewhere like I have to put a tampon in just in case because I've started like mid-flight before oh so like I can't even risk that my body would be like that's kind of what I was thinking too because I was like if I did not come to the bathroom right now either I would have started like would have started on the plane or like I would have started in the hour and a half long car ride I have home you know yeah so well, I'm super impressed by your body. <laughs> Shout out to my yeah. Your uterus is out here fucking killing it. Good for her. My cycle is doing good. <laughs> I was gonna say, speaking of beautiful places, to transition into my life update, but now that doesn't work. Now that we're talking about it. your uterus, um, I mean, not that speaking your uterus is beautiful. Isn't beautiful. I'm sure your uterus is gorgeous, Haley, but (laughs) I was going to share about the trip that I took. Um, So if you're listening to this episode, when it drops on Saturday, I took a weekend trip the weekend before this episode came out to Sedona. Um, I can confidently say that Sedona is a thousand times prettier in person than it even is in pictures, and it's pretty fucking beautiful in pictures. Totally. Like, I was blown away. So, by where this place. in Arizona is Sedona? So, from me, it's north of me and it's just under two hours away from me, which the fact that under two hours I can get to this place makes me want to 
get a little piggy bank for only gas money <laughs> um, and just have a fund just for driving to this fucking place every weekend because oh I'm God. like two hours and I'm in this one of the most like serene places in the fucking United States. Like, so what is it like? What? It's okay. So as you know, Arizona is very flat and dry and brown. Sedona <laughs> is not <laughs> any of those. Really? Um, mountains, not like snow covered mountains. Well, they can get snow, um, but not often, but like so much green like forests but then like out of the forests are these beautiful red rocks yeah so like you you've probably seen like red rocks in like utah i know like moab area has Mm -hmm. them too um and then there's like all of these different like canyons and caves that you can go through that are just like those red rocks i don't i can't even properly explain it in a way that'll do it justice it's It's just just fucking amazing and the other cool part is it's known for its energy vortexes. So basically it has certain areas where the energy is way stronger. So like people go there to meditate and like manifest and do all that shit because they go to these vortexes just to like sit and With like use better that energy. energy. Yeah. Holy shit. That's yeah. crazy. So we went to one vortex. Um So I went with an old friend of mine that I reconnected with. You guys have heard about him on the podcast before. You guys know him as Lance. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't know what we're talking about, you can listen to, I don't know what episode number it is, but the Don't Fuck Your Guy Friends episode. (laughs) He is Lance in that episode. Um, We have reconnected since fixed things that happened between us are now good and now friends again. Um, He was actually in California for a wedding and he asked if he could like just fly here to come see me. Um, We had reconnected, but we still hadn't seen each other in person yet. So he flew out here for the weekend and the one thing he wanted to do was he wanted to go to Sedona. It was his idea and like it's been on my list to go to. So I was like, fuck yeah, I've got somebody to make this drive with me. Like, Mm -hmm. let's do it. Um, I will say we kept it completely platonic the entire time. Very proud. Very happy for us. (laughs) <laughs> I'm proud of you too I wondered <laughs> and I know people were wondering so I just felt like I'm just gonna let you know it was completely platonic <laughs> but we found this energy vortex that was like a half mile hike to it um, so we did that and on our way up we hear like a flute and we're okay. like why is there music out here too like this place is so beautiful. It just has a flute like theme song to it. Like what the fuck? Like, where are we? <laughs> so we get to the top and there's like this really tall, skinny red rock. And there's this guy sitting on the very top and he's pretty far away. So we can't really like, see him really well, but we see that he's playing a flute. And we're like, oh my God, there's some dude just chilling on top of this rock. Like first off, how the fuck did he even get up there? And then second off, He's playing a little flute. So as we get to the top, he was coming down off of the rock for the day. I'm scared for him. (laughs) (laughs) So we walked – well, like we crossed paths with him and we were like, oh my gosh, we're so glad like we didn't miss you. Like that was so beautiful. And we got to talking with him. Super adorable man named Robert. He was 70 years old and he has played on top of this rock every day for the last 30 years. 
Dude, Robert needs to be on TikTok. <laughs> yeah. Robert um, probably doesn't have social media. I will say that. Oh, my God. <laughs> doesn't really seem like the type. But he was – it was so funny, though, because he started – you know, you can tell he's just one of those guys that's like, I am full of wisdom. I have so much to tell you about the world. Like, Sedona, one of the most magical places. You're like, this is so on brand. Robert, please tell me what I need to know about my life. So he proceeds to tell us all about us as a couple, oh. which we're not a couple. <laughs> so we both looked at each other like, do we correct this 70-year-old man right now or do we just like let him run with it? And neither of us had the balls to interrupt him because he was just on like a thing. Oh, how awkward. So we're just like standing there the whole time. Like, talking to you like you're like, dating? Yeah. Giving you and dating advice? Literally, literally, one of the things he said, he was like, you know, you might have like trials and tribulations that like tear you apart, but then you always come back together. And that's how you know that you're truly soulmates, that you're here in this moment together. And we're just kind of like, such a mind fuck though. Okay. Okay. But that's also a mind fuck (laughs) for me. Cause I'm like, is that a sign? (laughs) Like, what? It was so funny. But then like he leaves, we continue to like hike, we find a place to sit. We're sitting and I'm like so kind of funny. Like neither of us were like going to correct him, but like that was pretty funny. And then um he was kind of like, "Well, if you think about it, technically it's still all true for like us as friends." Like yeah. everything he said. Like it, there was nothing that was like total like 180 from like how our relationship actually is like even though we're not an actual couple we're just friends so it was kind of it was nice and we both like accepted it for what it was and we're like okay you know Robert thinks we're fucking but you know whatever (laughs) (laughs) we'll let him have that one (laughs) oh man um but that that was so cool um I we got a video of him playing the flute too on top of the rock I'll have to send it to you but most beautiful fucking place. Um, I will say we did go out that night. So we decided to stay in Sedona for the night um, just because it's a two-hour drive. And it monsooned that night. So I'm like, I'm not fucking driving back in a monsoon. Yeah, so we no. got a hotel room. We went to this Irish bar. This is – you're going to laugh so fucking hard, Haley. Okay. Oh, God. We went to this Irish bar. This Irish bar was the funniest mix of people I've ever seen in my life because nobody at this Irish bar lived there, right? It was just all people that just like happened to end up in Sedona today. Yeah. They're from all fucking parts of the world and like all ages. (laughs) And so we're sitting there and him and I have this kind of problem where like every time we go out together, we love to like wingman and wing woman for each other, but it doesn't work so well because everybody automatically assumes that we're a couple. Yeah. So like literally everybody always straight up ignores us everywhere we go. And so we're at this bar, like been there for two hours maybe. And we're finally like, okay, we got to split up because like nobody's paying attention to us. You know, like you need to go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. Like not one person is like batted an eye at us in here right now. (laughs) So I was like, okay. I'm going to go say hi to that guy over there. There was this guy who was in the dance, middle of the dance floor in his golf outfit. <laughs> wearing, day drinking. Wearing like 
Birkenstock slides with like striped soccer socks. Funniest outfit ever. Like clearly had been drinking all day from golfing, but I'm like, you're a vibe. I love it. This is adorable. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go talk to him. You do your thing. So I go out to the dance floor and like I had a couple drinks by this point. So what did I end up doing? Because this is so me. What did you do? <laughs> I ended up in a full out makeout session with this dude in the middle of the dance floor in this <laughs> Irish bar. Because me, when I drink, I love to make out. This is a problem that I've always had my whole life. <laughs> Was this your move? Did you just like approach him and kiss him? <laughs> I don't even remember what I said to him besides hi. And then I'm just making out with this dude. And then I'm dancing with him, having a good time. And then him and I go outside of the bar because it's obviously really fucking loud. And we're talking. His dog just passed away, so we were, like, getting all emotional, talking to each other about that. It was, like, the most beautiful thing ever. Um, anyways, he, like, lives in fucking Washington, D.C., so clearly that's going to go somewhere. <laughs> but did I you get just, his like, phone number? I did get his phone number, yes. Um, he now follows me on Instagram. I have texted him a little bit, I will say. Very nice guy. That is so funny. Great kisser. But, oh, man. I'm (laughs) just like, Jessica, why do you do this? This is hilarious. What was you doing while you were doing this? So get this. So when I was like, I'm going to go talk to this guy, he was like, okay, I'm going to go talk to, like, that chick. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, So he went and, like, talked to her. And then when I went outside, I could, like, look over my shoulder and see, like, into the bar. And, um, so I was like, maybe like, I don't, I don't know, 30 minutes later after we split up, I like look into the bar and he's like with a different woman and he's like got a full on leg brace and this woman's grinding on him in the middle of the dance floor. He's just vibing. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. It gets better. So I'm like, I look in there and I'm like, who the fuck is that lady? Like, where did she come from? He's just having a good old time. So I'm like, okay. So I go back to talking. Eventually I go back inside. Um, and then we're like, okay, we got to fucking go. Like this is becoming a hot mess. We got to go back to the hotel. So we leave, we get back to the hotel. And then he tells me that the girl that he was, that was grinding on him was there with her husband who apparently had passed us on the trails earlier up hiking So they recognized us, like me and him, and apparently they asked him if we would have a foursome with them. (laughs) And you know what I said? I was like, you didn't tell me this? And he was like, no, because I knew your drunk ass would have said yes. Yes. He was like, I didn't know how to get out of that. (laughs) I was like, wow, you really know me. (laughs) That was smart. Oh my god, dude, that is so funny. That is wild. Yeah. So apparently, so apparently, the that... only reason he was dancing with her is because the husband asked him to dance with her. <laughs> Swingers People are wild these days. Swingers. I'm not. I'm not kink shaming. Whatever gets you off gets you off. As long as you're honest and open, 
in your relationship, that's great. I'm just kind of pissed I missed my opportunity for a foursome. <laughs> that would have been like the perfect opportunity only because you've said if you ever have a threesome, it has to be with people you won't like ever see again. <laughs> right. So that's hilarious. Oh my God. So funny. But overall, 10 out of 10 weekend and oh. I can't wait to go back. I'm so happy that he came into town and you had like a friend to go out with and have fun yes. with. It was so fun. Okay, well, these life updates, that was great. I fucking loved it. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, besides that, as far as dating goes, I have no updates on dating. Dating is a a hot mess. I feel like that was perfect dating update. We know what's going on with you. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. You're making out. (laughs) However, actually, almost forgot to mention this. I got accepted to Raya. So, okay. People might not so know is, what this is, but this is fucking. Is this like a I celebrity so dating app? Yes. How? So how do you get? How did this happen? I applied. You have to apply. Four years ago, I forgot that I even applied to this app. They approved me the other day. The. I got an e- like this random email that said, you've been accepted into Raya's community, like join now with this big button. And I'm like, holy fuck. I totally forgot I applied for that. That is like, so that's funny. how long I waited. The shitty thing is you do have to pay like 15 bucks a month to be part of it, but it's because they like really want people to be serious about it. And obviously they made me wait fucking four years to be part of it. So clearly, but I was funny because when I got accepted, like my occupation, everything about me was where I was at four years ago in life, which is wildly different than where I'm at now. So oh. I had to like change my entire like profile that I like applied with, which is pretty funny. And I don't necessarily, I'm not a huge fan of it because it shows you people from all over rather than just your location. So like there's people from LA, New York, fucking a guy from Switzerland. I'm like, what am I going to do with that? How like, That's like a one in a million chance that that guy's going to fall in love with me and I'm going to move to Switzerland and, like, get a sheepdog. (laughs) Like, I don't understand, Raya. What are you doing to me? (laughs) Raya's like, take a chance. (laughs) (laughs) But but I was laughing because I came across – Oh, wow. You know who that is, right? Yeah. 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 Um, Hopefully I'm allowed to say that. If I'm not allowed to say that, I apologize. I know what these rules are with this app. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to cut that part out. <laughs> Delete it. Uh, that's great. Well, congratulations. So anyways, no progress has been made on that app yet, however. So Your next boyfriend might be a celebrity. Maybe Mike. Who knows? Yeah, now I got to stay on that app until Mike is single until again, Mike which single. God knows when that's going to be. Okay. Well, this is great. Should we get into today's episode? All right. Let's do it. Our guest today is Dave Glazer. He is a certified strength and conditioning coach and Enneagram coach who is passionate about sharing the benefits of fitness, nutrition, and personal growth to improve mental health. 
After a couple of breakups in 2017, he discovered that our relationships play a big role in our mental health and found one answer to be self-awareness through understanding his Enneagram personality type. Since that time, he has grown passionate about educating others to understand their Enneagram personality types, attachment styles, and love languages through individualized coaching programs and the Dave Glazer podcast about authentic dating. All right, so welcome, Dave, to the podcast. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks. Excited to be here, too. (laughs) Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. So we want to start out by talking about some Enneagram stuff. I know you post about that often on your social media. Haley and I have kind of dived into it a little bit here and there. Um, I We both took like the Enneagram test. I don't know if it was the official test. I don't know what the official Enneagram test is. If there is one, let us know. Sure. But we took some test at one point um, and Haley came back as a type three, I believe. Awesome. And I came back as a type nine, and I know you knew that about me because I actually talked on your podcast about being a type nine a while back. Yeah, about two and a half years ago now. Yeah, but what are you, what are you again? I'm an eight, the challenger. Do you want to cover a little bit about like what the Enneagram is for somebody who's listening that's maybe like, what the hell are they talking about? What are these numbers? Like, what is this? Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Enneagram and... I'd be happy to. Yeah. The Enneagram is a centuries old typing system that was actually used in Europe by um, religious priests to help their congregations grow personally and collectively. Um, The typing system, the numbers that we're referring to, uh, there's one through nine. And we've talked a little bit about the eight. Jess, you're a nine. Haley, you're a three. So we'll dig into each, each of the types just briefly. But um, let's kick it off with Jess's type, the nine, the peacemaker. Wait, nine is the peacemaker? Yes, they're known as the peacemaker. Haley's really questioning this now. I would have thought it was the perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> well, they de- they definitely have some perfectionism in there. Um, let me guess, Jess, that perfection was a way that you got noticed as a kid or um, praised or loved? For sure. Uh Uh-huh. And Haley, does that resonate too as the type three, the achiever? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It shows up in different ways for the two of you though. So uh, Jess, we'll stick with you for a second, then we'll get to the three. But um, as the peacemaker, you're kind of known or you're seen as someone who's shy, a little bit quiet, but um, you've got a bite to your your tongue and you can get angry. That's for sure. You can. This is true. I, I know. I've been watching. I've been watching social media, and that's how we originally <laughs> met. So, um, I I do love a type nine. My daughter is a type nine. Uh, she she said to me once. She's like, Dad, I th- I think that we we butt heads because we're so different. And I said, No, Maddie. It's because we're so much alike. And the eight and the nine sit next to each other on what's known as the crown of the enneagram. So it's like a a mostly closed in circle, but there's a little bit of a gap there. And that's more symbolic than anything else. So as a nine, uh, kind of a wallflower in social settings, um, you might not necessarily want to be seen for who you truly are. And so you kind of stay in the background. Um, But yet you still have some leadership qualities of like, I'm going to lead, but I'm going to do it from the back, not the front. Does that resonate? 
hundred percent. I've always found myself like on that line of wanting to be the leader, but like, how can I be the leader without like actually having the spotlight on me? Right. Right. <laughs> Cause I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I can totally see that. And what I see you do really well just to get out of that comfort zone is your social media presence. Like you're very brave. You throw a lot of courage into what you do on social media. And that's originally why we got connected. And I appreciate that about you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that a lot because obviously as anybody that shows up on social media, it can be daunting at times and you can feel like, am I showing up authentically? Am I not showing up authentically? I don't know how this comes across to other people. So it's nice to hear that feedback. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I think that the word authentic is so relatable when it comes to the Enneagram because it's essentially showing us or reflecting back to us through this tool, through excuse me, through self-awareness, what masks we wear to hide our authenticity. Because um, I'm not sure if you can relate if you're out there dating right now. Sometimes you're afraid of being seen for who you truly are. And the Enneagram is a tool that can help you really kind of flourish and remove the mask of your personality um, so that you can be truly seen and loved in a relationship. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I am dating and it's fucking rough, by the it way. It can but... be, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with you in that journey. It's been rough recently for myself too. I was just telling Haley before we started recording, I was like, my life is a fucking mess, Haley, when it comes to dating. She's like, I do not want to talk about dating. <laughs> and here we are with uh, uh, somebody who talks nonstop about modern dating <laughs> coming on your show. <laughs> the timing was impeccable, Dave. I'm, I'm known for that, yeah. I love that you shared, though, like how you can utilize the Enneagram test like in your actual life. So thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, you bet. Can we go into, are you done with mine or yes. with, did, was there more? Okay. Can you go into type eight, go into yours then since you're right next to me? Yeah, that's, yeah. Thanks for the invitation to do that. That scares the hell out of me because um, my mask that I wear is a fear of vulnerability. So we met through social media, Jess, and then I invited you to come be a guest on the podcast to share a little bit about what it's like to date with Lyme disease. And you did fantastic. And I appreciate that too. But the podcast for me was a way to be very vulnerable. I, I contemplated doing a modern dating podcast anonymously at first. And then I was like, you know what? That's just me still hiding. And I didn't want to show up in the world anymore. Um, from a place of lack or a place of fear and uh, letting the anxiety get the best of me. So uh, understanding my Enneagram type for about a year, maybe before, maybe about eight months before I started the podcast, I was like, okay, knowing that the challenger, to the, the type eight has a fear of vulnerability and that's his path to growth. I need to do this full on. I need to do this forefront. And I was really very grateful for that journey. And here we are to it. I was four and a half years later with like 241 episodes and that vulnerability is still there. Like that fear. Do I even say this? Do I even mention this? Do I, do I be transparent right now? And those are the questions that go through my head as a challenger. Uh, even five years after learning what the test was all about. I, I mean, I like how you said that, you know, you were facing that fear and that's how you grow because that took me a long time to realize that the things that I was like the most scared of were the things that I should actually be doing 
and that is how I grow as a person because it used to be like, oh, no, I'm scared of that. Like, I'm never going to do that. And now when I feel that fear about something, I'm like, okay, let's fucking do it. Right. Like, let's do it. You know, it could go, it could still go horribly wrong, whatever it is, but like, I need to at least try it. So I like that you said that. Yeah. I appreciate that too, Jess. Yeah. I'm kind of curious if you find yourself, I don't know if you edit your own podcast, but like having this fear, do you find yourself like wanting to edit things out of the show? That's such a great question. And, and like, I'm nodding my head vigorously over here as the challenger because yes, I, I do. Um, like yourselves, I don't like to make mistakes, but this is for different reasons. You know, mistakes make me very vulnerable and I don't like to be seen making mistakes. So editing my own podcast has a lot to do with, originally it was about control. I wanted to have control with my my entire process. And there were definitely some parts of conversations that I edited out, um, out of that fear of vulnerability, whether that was um, kind of protecting my client, uh, my guest's privacy, or it was also um, maybe in a way to kind of still wear that mask a little bit of like, well, if I say this on the podcast, then I'm going to get asked about it. And I don't necessarily want to go there right now. And so there'll be some times when a minute or two get clipped out when I'm oversharing. <laughs> and, uh, and because that's not why I created the podcast in the first place. If you want an oversharing podcast, there's plenty of those out there that talk about their own dating stories. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. Okay. So I laughed when Haley asked you that question because we had an episode like uh, right before we ended up taking this month off um, that we recorded. And then the night before it came out, I was like, I can't do it. And we just like scrapped the entire thing. And then the episode after that, we recorded another one. And then the night before I panicked and I took like 20 minutes out of the episode of just me talking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. I just feel weird. I, I feel like I overshared. I feel like I said too much. And this was like, you know, recently single back into dating. So it was like stories about what was go- currently going on. But it's just, just funny because I I deal with that all the time. I'm like, oh my God, I said all of this stuff. And then the night before I'm like, I can't. I, I got to go back and edit all this shit out. What was I doing? Why was I saying this stuff? Yeah. And Dave, you mentioned before we started recording, you had taken like a six month break from podcasting after your breakup because of the fact that you wanted to be a little bit more private during that time of your life. So Jess, I think that's like totally valid. (laughs) Like you don't want your ex-boyfriend listening to your current dating stories. So I get it. Yeah, totally. It, It reminds me of a personal mantra that I have of live publicly, date privately. And that's a way that I can still um, work through the path of growth for my personality type of to be vulnerable publicly and on social media and through the podcast, but also keep my own, my own identity, you know, my sovereignty and my agency where, where all of my stuff is not out there because my personal policy, I hate to say policy about a personal growth podcast, but like if I haven't worked through something in with my counselor or with one of my men's groups, I'm not going to speak to it on the podcast because I haven't processed through everything that has come up for me. And as you were sharing, uh, Jess, 
Um, I, I recently went out with a person and we'd gone out a couple of times, chatted for five or six weeks or something like that. And she's like, Hey, over text, Hey, what's your last name? And, uh, and I hesitated for a second. Do I, do I share my last name right now? And I was like, you know what? That's me living in fear. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna throw it out there. My last name's Glazer. Now, remember, I said this over text. Now, remember when you Google me, I'm funny. And she's like, well, I wasn't going to Google you, but now I'm curious. And five seconds later, she's like, wait, you have a podcast about dating. You have to tell me your best story right now. <laughs> right now. Do it. Oh, my gosh. See, I go back and forth between like the sharing the current dating stuff and not. Um, it's scary. And obviously, anybody can listen to it. It's a public platform. And But the thing that makes me want to do it is – one of my very favorite podcasts is Girls Gotta Eat, mm -hmm. and that's what they do. And they talk about their dating, and it's a hot mess, but it's right. hysterical. Right. And so, like, I really want to share these stories with people because I'm like, I'm not alone in these stories. You know, I've, dating is a hot mess in general. I'm not the only one that's dealing with this shit. But then there's also times where I'm like, okay. I feel like I'm going back and forth because I'm not processing it fully, but then I'm talking about it. And then the next episode, I'm like, well, now it's like a complete 180 from what I told you guys last time. <laughs> so can you keep up? <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Well, no, honestly, that's sometimes how I feel just talking with Jessica about it is I'm like, it's so hard for me to like keep up with what's going on. Right. Oh, yeah, I get that. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite TikToks is like, oh, so you know that guy I was talking to you about, Chad? And they're like, no, what happened to Jim? Wait, what about Sam? And oh, no, I stopped talking to him three weeks ago or something like that. And it's like eight names in this TikTok that uh, is one of the best sounds. And it's it just makes me laugh every time because that's what it feels like. Uh, modern dating can be very overwhelming with juggling your roster um, keeping track of who's on the starting lineup and who's on the bench. and <laughs> Oh, my God. This is making me sweat. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel attacked, Jess? Because I do. I definitely feel attacked by this. Yeah. This is good, though. This is really right. good. But, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And every time I talk to Haley or anybody close to me, they're always like, well, is that the guy that you said did hmm. this? And I'm like, no, 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 not hmm. that guy. Like, this is this guy. And they're like, uh-huh, all right. And I'm like, I should just stop telling you guys names right. or anything at all and just till it's like I um, have a ring on my finger or something because this is exhausting. Or just send us like a weekly update of the roster with like photos, <laughs> name, details. Like, that would be helpful. <laughs> I found I found that giving um, giving funny nicknames that are relatable to their behavior is the way to go when you're telling stories of like oh my, my men's group knows one is like the girl that didn't shower before she showed up on the first date or <laughs> or the one the love bomber or um, oh god the love bomber I have one of those or you know oh. just any any other clever name without diminishing who they are as a person because we don't necessarily want to go down that route but. Mm -hmm. Haley, are you curious about your Enneagram number? Yeah, sure. Okay. I'm a three. <laughs> you are. I'm like a three winged with a two, mm -hmm. which is the helper. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up wings because they're very important, especially with 
you know, I mentioned earlier that my daughter said we butt heads. Well, if, if my wing just happens to be a nine at a certain point in my life, well, then I'm going to resemble my daughter or Jess in, in more of my personality type. And that's where the conflicts can come from. So understanding that about myself, that my wing can shift from a, a seven, the enthusiast to a nine, the peacemaker is very important for me to know of like, oh, am I experiencing FOMO right now? Well, then I must have my wing seven going. And that's where my anxiety is coming from because I, I don't want to miss out on anything. But if I have my nine show up as my wing, well, then I might actually be a little bit more compassionate. I, I might actually numb my own intuition or numb my voice, even though I want to stand up for myself in the moment. And I can think of multiple times in relationships where I've wanted to stand up for myself but chose not to. And that would be where the nine wing comes in. For yourself, if we explore the type three, the achiever with a wing two, just a quick summary of that. Uh, personality type and let me know if this resonates but you were uh you received love as a child or an early teenager when you performed very well whether that be uh, academically uh sports or yeah. just be um it's not so much of a good person that's more of like the nine but just being the good kid like yeah. out of me and my siblings like for being the good one but definitely with sports and definitely with grades for sure right and that's how you received love. So you were encouraged to continue to perform in that way. And the, the beauty of the Enneagram 3 is that can it can be in any dimension of life. Threes can be the best actors. Threes can be the best politicians. They can be the best sports athletes. They can be the, the best doctor. They can be, the, excuse me, they can be the lawyer. And that's also their hubris or, or their blind spot is like, because I'm so great at these things, it doesn't make me better than other people. And that's almost like a reminder of that inner monologue to be like, okay, this is my shadow coming out. I'm starting to compare myself to other people, put myself above other people. And I need to, I need to soften that a little bit. Does that resonate for you? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm just thinking about like my current business venture and like even competitors and things like that. So right. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said that the Enneagram can show up in relationships. It can show up in personal growth. It can show up in our businesses too. Uh, the wing two that you mentioned, the helper, um, it adds an extra dimension of character, I think, of there's a uniqueness to the Enneagram type three wing two. Um, that's also part of their gift of like, I can be uniquely successful in this business and completely outshine my competitors while still dealing with people pleasing behavior. <laughs> I just feel so called out. Did that cut deep? I'm such a people pleaser and I'm so nice. She yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm so glad that, um, that you're a three wing too. They're some of my favorite people. Um, I have dated a three wing two and it didn't work out very well. Um, it was about three and a half years ago and it just crushed me. Really? Mm -hmm. If, if you think an eight has a fear of vulnerability, how does the fear of vulnerability or being seen show up for you? Gosh, I don't even know. I feel like it's probably like a fear of not being good enough and not like living up to expectations and just being disliked like really I feel like too with our podcast though Haley like you've we've I mean we've both had many moments 
Um, but I can think of like one specifically where you wanted to talk about something, but you were worried about the way that people would perceive you after you shared mm. about it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a human condition. You know, that's very relatable. <laughs> <laughs> Not just a, a Enneagram, Enneagram type three. So if you were if you were describing what the end result would be if you failed, what would that be? Would it feel like death for you? Uh, I think it probably depends at the thing that I'd be failing at. But if it was important to me, then yes. Yeah, it would probably be like one of the yeah. toughest things. Yeah, death or the end of the world is kind of how um, how you face failure. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah, that must that must be a really hard weight to carry. I've never really like considered it. I feel like we're gonna have to pay you for this therapy session after this. Yeah, right. I'm gonna bring this up to my therapist. <laughs> yeah, take take the recording in with you and say. Doc, we haven't clipped a single second out of this episode. Will you please listen <laughs> and put this into the psychoanalysis of our session, please? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I really appreciate you saying that, Jess. And yes, I do have clients that I work with about the Enneagram, but but what the Enneagram really is is a tool that helps us look at our shadow, the things that we don't want ourselves to see and others to see. When we, when, we, when we keep that in mind, that this is something I don't want others to see about me, that's something that we can do on our own, where it doesn't have to be public, it doesn't have to be out there, it doesn't have to be spoken to every single day, where we can continue to do the work. And five years into understanding the Enneagram just a little bit, I'm still just scratching the surface of who I am. And it, I'm, go- I'm going to be honest with you guys, it does not fucking fix a thing. But what it does is it brings more awareness to my behavior when it shows up. How's that land with you? That makes sense. I think that's an important thing to remember is like learning this information isn't going to solve your problems. It's just going to make it more clear as to Mm. why you act the way that you act, Yeah. which to a sense should bring some comfort to you, right? Mm. You know, that's just you accepting how you live in this world. Yeah, it's not a lost cause though, but you you are right, Jess. And what this tool does is it helps us understand why we make the decisions we do. And then we can course correct when we make the wrong ones. Like if we have an aim for our life and about five years down the road, we have this aim for financial earnings or I want to own a home or I want to be in a relationship or I want to have kids. If we have that aim in mind and we deviate it with a from it with a choice, okay, well, my Enneagram would would give me feedback in this way. Okay, why did I make that choice? And then in the future, I'm not going to make that same choice unless I store it in the shadow and I don't take a look at it. If I keep that thing hidden, then I'll never progress. I'll never move forward. And I won't get anywhere closer to that aim in my life. Yeah. And I think there are so many people out there that don't take the time to like learn these things about themselves. And I think we're really big advocates for doing that so that you can be more self-aware it's why we're both in therapy. It's why we tell people to go to therapy. Like, I just feel like it is really beneficial to know these things about yourself and kind of help direct you in the direction that you want to go. Mm. Yeah, well said. I will make another note. It hasn't fixed a damn thing for me, but it has made me more accepting of myself. <laughs> oh, this is such a great thing for an Enneagram 9 to understand. That giving yourself grace is a beautiful thing, right, Jess? It's part of the process. 
It is. Um, one thing I did want to mention, I did a little bit of research on Enneagram nines before we hopped on here. And um, one thing that I read that really resonated with me and that I would love to talk to you about is it said that nines have a natural avoidant tendency. Mm. Um, and I know we were wanting to talk about attachment styles too. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of been wondering if I had an avoidant attachment style for quite a while now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I read that, I was like, oh, shit. Like, Mm. okay, Um, that might make a little bit of sense. Um, Specifically, like conflict avoidant, I think is what Mm -hmm. it said Mm -hmm. nines were, which is very much me. I'm like, I don't like confrontation. I will do everything I can to avoid conflict and confrontation Mm -hmm. unless of course it's somebody picking on Haley then I will throw hands but that is the only time that you will ever see me bold (laughs) I love it I did an attachment style test too um and so I wanted to tell you the result of that Mm -hmm. to kind of let you dig into both of those things sure um so my and I actually hadn't heard of this before but my attachment style came back as fearful avoidant. Ah. And I always kind of thought I was anxious avoidant because mm-hmm. I kind of felt like I went back and forth between the two. But then when I got this and did some research on it, I was like, yep, that's me. Yeah. 100%. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah, same here. That that must have been really confronting to read for the first time that, that fearful avoidant is that attachment style. Yeah, it wasn't great. Doesn't sound nice. Mm. No, it's it slaps you in the face, and and I found that to be my own attachment style. About the June or July, right in right in the pandemic, you know, the first year. So that's just over two years ago that I finally discovered that I was more than just avoidant; that I had that fearful avoidant tendency as well. And I really love that you brought up the enneagram in the context of attachment styles. And before we we layer. We layer these two things. So before I layer the two tools together, I'll just briefly cover attachment theory as a as an overview. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so there's six attachment styles, and we'll cover the top four um, just for our purposes of our conversation tonight, and then we'll specifically highlight the fearful avoidant. But there are securely attached people, and that's about 50% of the population, which is good news. That's great news. (laughs) It is great news for the securely attached people. Not so great news for the rest of us. I was securely attached. You were? That was my attachment style. I am securely attached. (laughs) Well, lucky you. Uh, There's a whole lot of envy coming from my type 8 right now. 50% of the population is securely attached. And about 25% of the population is avoidantly attached. That generally showed up in a a home that um, you... you never received love consistently. And so you had to meet your own needs yourself. And that's a, that's a very fast way for a kid to grow up. And so your adult attachments actually end up resembling that, where you tend to be very independent. Uh, you like um, your alone time. You like to pursue your life by yourself. And as much as you want companionship, that intimacy and closeness is very scary. So you meet your own needs as an adult. And that can be very challenging for, say, like an anxiously attached person. There's 20% of the population that falls in that category. And they grew up in a household where 
the love and needs being met was very inconsistent. Like you never knew where it was going to come from. Um, one day it could be this, the next day it's the exact opposite. So what you tended to do as a child to feel loved and get your needs met was to be very graspy and very close to your caregivers as much as they didn't want to give that to you. And that's a really hard place for a child to be, especially in the formative years up until about five years old. And then after that, um, you progress into adult relationships of resembling the same, of being very graspy and wanting close connection. And the buzz phrase that's going around nowadays is you're only as calm as your most recent experience with your partner. That is how the anxious attachment style lives. What was my last interaction with my partner? And that's how good I feel. Wow. Underneath these attachment styles, when the anxious and the avoidant get together, it's called the anxious avoidant trap. It can look a lot like a push-pull dynamic in classic psychotherapy or psychoanalysis. But the underlying thing is codependency. Codependency is a real thing. And attachment styles show up in a codependent relationship in that push-pull dynamic because the avoidant keeps distancing themselves from the anxious and the anxious keeps closing the distance. So it ends up being the chaser or the pursuer and how that shows up as codependency. And, and this was a stark realization that I had to make was that the avoidant attachment style is enabling the anxious style to draw closer. And they almost feed off of that in a narcissistic way. We all have narcissistic tendencies. We won't go into that today, but um, that would be more like a one, a two, or a three on the narcissistic tendency scale. Not a five where you're a pure narcissist with personality disorder. But And then the avoidant attachment style is enabling the anxious attachment style to do this. And so therefore, it's making a codependent bond of like the anxious needs that, that person to feel all right in the world. The avoidant needs that person for attention and intimacy, but only when they want it. And that's a really tough, tough place to want to try and build a healthy foundation for a relationship when you get in a, a new, into an adulthood. The tricky thing is here, the securely attached people, they're not going to put up with the bullshit of like, this person is clingy. This person is needy. This person needs to be near me all the time. They can either have a few options. I'm going to set boundaries and say, that's not what I'm looking for as a securely attached person. I'm going to pursue other relationships. And then the anxiously attached person takes that very personally and then they distance and then they shut down and then they get back on the apps like three days later. <laughs> when a securely attached person is in relationship with an avoidantly attached person and the avoidantly attached person is distant and they don't communicate for two or three days or a week, the securely attached person is like, you know what? I don't have to put up with this. You know what? You're not meeting my needs. You're not listening. I don't feel heard. I'm going to go pursue other relationships. And the avoidantly attached person is going to be like, see, I told you so. All relationships are X, Y, and Z. I'm going to go get back on the app right away because I am so numb to my emotions because I've been hiding them for so long that I'm going to go meet my needs by continuing the cycle. Do you have any questions about those three attachment styles before I move on? Is it possible to be all of them? Yes. <laughs> Just like the Enneagram, <laughs> just like the Enneagram types, we have all attachment styles within us. There are times when I'm not in partnership that I feel very secure. And in the initial stages of relationship, first two or three dates, I feel very secure. 
and then the intimacy starts to grow and I start to pull away or the person starts to get close to me and I pull away or I start to feel my fearful avoidant attachment style show up in anxiety and clinginess myself. So Jess, I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but I feel as if my fearful avoidant attachment style is a gift now. It's a gift because I can empathize and relate to both the avoidant and the anxious attachment style because I can feel those depending on who my partner is. It's kind of like polarity, magnets. If I'm dating an avoidant, my anxious attachment style will show up and I will want to get close to them because I see it as a challenge or as the chase. If my partner is anxiously attached, I'm going to show up as avoidant because that, that much intimacy and that much closeness is scary for me. And it's this pendulum swing across the attachment styles, passing through secure when I'm alone and not dating, all the way from anxious to the polar opposite of avoidant, depending on who I'm dating. And Jess, you're laughing because like, <laughs> does this hit home for you? <laughs> you're like describing me to a fucking T because I am definitely when I'm by myself and not in a relationship, I'm like, I got my shit together. I'm so secure. Like I got the shit figured out. Like. Who wouldn't want to date me? Like, right. <laughs> you And know? then we try dating again and we're like, ah, oh, fuck. Yes, but it's very much so like I've always thought I kind of had the anxious attachment style because when I am with a person who's avoidant, that's when those anxious tendencies do show up for me. But if I'm with somebody that's overly like gives is the anxious person, that's when I'm like, step the fuck back. Like, give me my fucking space. Like, calm down. So I definitely have experienced that swing of the pendulum. Right. And that's the catch-22, too, because you and I, as fearful avoidance, we attract both types. Oh, shit. I know. And that's our healing journey through the lens of attachment styles, is understanding that about ourselves, that we're not broken. We're not defunct. We're not. There's nothing wrong with us. We just have a lot of work to do on ourselves. And like you said earlier, we encourage therapy. I've been with my counselor almost two years, this counselor, almost two full years now. I have a session with him tomorrow that I literally have been counting down the minutes to get time with him to unravel all of this anxiety that showed up with, uh, within the last couple of weeks after dating somebody. I cannot say if she was avoidant or not because we only went out three times. But on the third date, there was a little bit of fear of abandonment that showed up for me. And that's really, that's really Yes, I have a lot of shame and I'm embarrassed that I actually went to that place, but I wasn't the only person in the room. I, I, I had somebody else there that maybe approached a conversation, approached a subject in less than a sensitive way and didn't necessarily consider the impact on the other person that they were conversing with. Now, she took ownership of that and I really appreciated that. I was looking to continue to date. She was done. And that's, that's a great opportunity to sit with the anxiety that shows up in our lives as long as we understand where, that, where it comes from. And it's so great to have this trusted person in my life, uh, like Adam, who, who saw me get into a relationship, and then he walked me through the grief process of ending that relationship, and then after two and a half months or so, helped me walk through getting back out there too. So I want to talk about uh, like a personal experience I had lately that just is too perfect for this for me to ignore it. Um, but <laughs> I was dating two different people, um, only had gone on a couple dates with both. 
And one was making me feel that anxious feeling. And the other one, I was like trying to distance myself from. Still wanted to see him, but was feeling like it was too much. But then Mm. the other one wasn't giving me enough. Mm. And so I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like neither of them are even drastically doing anything different from each other. Mm. It's just both of those relationships were making me feel two completely different ways. Mm -hmm. And it was driving me nuts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually finally got to the point where I told both of them, like, I couldn't, I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I just needed to step away and figure my shit out, Mm -hmm. Um, which actually helped because that gave me some time to process things. And then it made me actually reach back out to the one that I had been trying to avoid Mm -hmm. and realized maybe I should put some more effort into that and not avoid it as much as I was. But the other one, I was like, this shit is making me too anxious. I cannot handle this. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Jess. If you're, if you're open to it, I'd love to dig in and ask you a few follow-up questions if that's all right. Mm. Sure. Why not? Okay. Uh, so what was your original choice to have the strategy of dating more than one person at a time? Um, more so I did it because I just wanted to meet people out here. I'm in a new state. I don't know anybody. So I was trying to go on lots of dates with lots of different people, not expecting all of them to turn into something, but just trying to get myself out there, trying to meet people, if anything, make some friends, if it doesn't mm-hmm. work out romantically. Mm-hmm. Um, I just happened to get along with two of the guys at the same time. All right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me that the initial stages of dating is a great opportunity to have this mindset. Uh, I heard you say, get out there and meet people. I'm new to the, t- I'm new to the city. And if something happens with somebody, great. If not, I got a new friend out of it, or I got to meet new people and have new experiences. And that's mm-hmm. essentially what dating at the baseline can be for us. It, it also aligns with the mindset that you had at the time. So I just want to give you, um, give you that compliment on the way that you approach dating. I also heard you share in there that you chose to reach out to the person that you were avoiding. What was the reason that you chose that person in that context because you were avoiding it? Uh, The reason I chose him was more so I just realized I felt more safe and felt more secure with that person than I did with the other one. The other one was making me feel anxious, which Mm. those anxious feelings, I Mm -hmm. don't like them. Mm -hmm. Um, And the of me avoiding the other person was more so just a me issue than Mm -hmm. anything that he was doing. Yeah. Um, Where this other person had been doing some things that were causing my anxiety right. and making right. me feel unsettled and right. like inconsistent in that relationship. So yeah, I was just like, clearly this is a me thing when I was, when it came to me avoiding this guy, you know, he's actually mm-hmm. a genuinely nice person and he's treating me well. I should mm-hmm. look into that further. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I commend you on the self-awareness that it takes to acknowledge that about yourself. I wasn't leaning into this relationship and that's a me thing. I hear you taking ownership there and that's a very powerful thing when it comes to exploring a relationship with anybody. Can I take ownership over my own behavior? And that sounds like leaning more towards a securely attached person, which is great. Now we're trending in the right direction. 
because you labeled it. You said, I was avoiding it. That's on me, not because of who they are as a person. So I want to explore that a little bit more. And this is a path to growth, both through the Enneagram and through attachment theory. So before I layer the two, because this is a great example of doing so, the path to growth for an avoidantly attached person is to lean into a relationship. I I wouldn't recommend perpetuating our avoidant tendencies by dating multiple people as an avoidant attachment style because you're just going to continue the cycle. When you have uh, recognized that you have interest or feelings or a connection with one person, I challenge you to lean in as the avoidant. And that's what you're doing now is what I hear you saying. As the anxiously attached person, your your path to growth is to self-soothe, learn these skills and these tools that we can have in our lives that teach us how to self-soothe when we're not with our potential partner or the person we're dating or our partner or our husband or our wife. At any stage of the relationship, the anxiously attached person is going to have to have these skills to self-soothe. And that those examples could be like having your own hobbies, having your own career, having friends outside of the relationship, a same-sex friends generally, um, because having same-sex friendships for an anxiously attached person is very safe. It's very known. It's very, um, I don't have somebody of the opposite sex that I'm going to go bitch about my partner to because that's very dangerous for the anxiously attached person. Because if that person who there's a trusted uh, sounding board starts to show them the love they're not getting at home, guess what? Now the attachment shifts to a different person and then we have a whole different set of problems. And that does that does not align with uh, self-soothing, which is why, how we got off on that topic. <laughs> So are you down to hear the layering of the Enneagram and the attachment styles in this particular case? A hundred percent. I love it. So as an Enneagram nine, you were talking about avoidance just a little bit. Conflict avoidance is very true. The way that you said it was very accurate in, I would avoid conflict at all costs. And let me know if this is true for you, but when the nine wants to avoid conflict, sometimes they have a tendency to numb. They could numb through marijuana or through alcohol or through multiple dating partners so that when they do feel close or do feel conflict, they get the opportunity to pull back and avoid that conflict or avoid that intimacy. Does that ring ring true for you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does. Mm. And, and that's another self-aware uh, moment that I, I've heard you acknowledge, and it's another opportunity for us to to learn more about ourselves in a in a mindful and a health, healthy approach to life. Right? If we're just shoving this back into the shadow, then we're not getting anywhere. But we're acknowledging it, we're labeling it, and we're saying, "I choose to do something about it," which is a huge step forward for the avoidant attachment style and a nine. How the how the layering comes into play is like, okay, my enneagram says that I'm conflict avoidant. But in my relationship, when I have no conflict, I'm still avoiding intimacy and closeness. What's behind that? So when you said that you were avoiding getting to know this person or avoiding focusing on that one relationship because they weren't necessarily doing anything wrong, what, what was behind that avoidance at that time? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I fully know the answer to that. Um, the only thing I can really think of is just the question of, am I ready to be serious with someone? 
I think I go back and forth between that currently right now. So I'd say that's probably what it most likely is. Hmm. I can totally understand that, especially coming out of a relationship and the, and the way that it ended and uh, the timing at which it ended as well. So I can completely understand why you would say that. Completely valid. I have a I have another question, though, because with this whole like conflict avoidant thing, um, I know personally lately I have been thinking about this a lot, trying to work through it. And I am the kind of person, too, where if I'm not in a serious relationship with somebody and something doesn't feel right for me, I tend to just call it off like without even having communication or even talking about it or even like asking what's going on to the other person because I just avoid it. I'm mm-hmm. just like, eh, like just move on to the next. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that doesn't, I know that doesn't do anything for me ultimately in the end, but that's something I've noticed that mm-hmm. I, I do. I'm easy to just cut something off rather than even take the time to communicate about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely relate to that. And I I don't feel as if you're alone. I I can feel as if a lot of people would relate to what you just shared there of, you know, in the face of conflict, it's easier for me to start fresh with somebody new than to lean into that conversation. And I've been there before in my life too. And it it ultimately came down to a point of like, that's my shadow. That's my ego holding me back from what I truly love, uh, truly want and deserve in my life, which is a partnership that I get to co-create with another person with deep, connected, authentic intimacy as the foundation. And if there was a, f- a fear that you could label there, what would you say that you're afraid of that's on the other side of that conversation? Um, probably rejection. Probably just them them being the ones to call it quits rather than me. I hear that. I feel that. And I, I also hear that there's a self-preservation or a defense mechanism in there too of like, if I end it before I get hurt, then I won't get hurt. Mm-hmm. And if you were to say that rejection felt similar to something, would you say that it feels similar to not being good enough? Yeah. Not being worthy, Mm -hmm. not being wanted. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting that I even feel that way because if you think about my breakup, he came to the conclusion that that's what he did is he ended it because he thought I was going to hurt him. And I'm, you know – talking shit on my podcast about him <laughs> doing that <laughs> you're doing the same thing right. i'm doing the same thing to people <laughs> mm-hmm. so so very well said jess and and i think that the beauty of relationships what's behind all of my learnings and understanding and growth through the podcast and speaking to experts and speaking to real life daters on the podcast is that that is the truth we are all afraid of being hurt and relationships are a beautiful tool to hold up a mirror for ourselves to look at the areas of our lives that we don't want others to see especially our intimate partner and when a relationship holds up a mirror like that it's very confronting and very scary because shit i've never seen that about myself before 
I didn't expect to have a very intimate conversation with somebody on a third date and have fear of abandonment show up. I felt as if I've worked through that years ago. But you know what? There's still a pattern that's shown up in my life from the three wing two that I mentioned earlier to this person now that I don't know her Enneagram type, but it did come up on the third date. Um, <laughs> that the same exact mirror was held up to me in a moment of deep, intimate conversation of like, yeah, yeah, I feel fucking scared right now. Like my entire body is flooded with emotions and I want to, I want to stay present in the moment. I want to be grounded in the moment. And after all the work that I do, I still wasn't able to do that. And after those emotions passed and after the feelings passed and there was a little bit more fear of abandonment showing up, I, I still chose to like lean in and say, in spite of all that, I still choose you. And then to not be chosen in return was incredibly devastating. And yet I know that I'll be okay eventually. Mm -hmm. Or as my avoidant attachment shows up, I'll just jump back on the apps and have another date by Sunday. <laughs> I have a follow-up question to this. I'm curious if our attachment styles change based on our experiences or if it's just kind of based on like our childhood and that kind mm, of thing. Phenomenal question. Thank you so much, Haley. Yes and yes. Um, our attachment styles are formed in childhood. It's what was repeatedly shown to us, displayed to us, modeled to us as children that gets formed in our systems. And we can have temporary adjustments too in our attachment styles. Like I know completely secure people who temporarily become anxious after a breakup or after they meet somebody who hasn't worked through their own stuff. And they're like, oh my God, I've never felt this way before in my entire life. What is this? Well, it could be a temporary shift in their attachment wounds is essentially where that comes from that they just haven't been aware of before because they haven't been in a relationship like that before. You know, maybe the person that they, they meet online has a, a lot of trauma in their history and they haven't worked through that or they're currently working through that. And the securely attached person has never been with anybody like that before. So temporarily they can have a response. Oftentimes it's a pulling back. Um, after a divorce, somebody can be very avoidant of intimacy, closeness, and a relationship, temporarily speaking. Uh, Dr. Stan Tatkin and Dr. Robert Glover are two people that I read quite a bit of, and they both say that you must wait one year after dating or after a divorce to be the person that you're they're dating or to actually get out there and get into a relationship. Because that attachment style can show up for a full year after a divorce. Even if you were separated for two years before, the actual date of the court ending dissolution of the marriage is the starting point because you have to grieve the ending of the relationship, even though you've already grieved the end of that person. And this has a lot to do with like uh, the feminine will oftentimes leave the relationship and it will just be done because they were, they were walking away from the relationship six months before that of like, Hey, I'm trying to catch my partner's attention. I'm trying to get heard. I'm trying to have these conversations and they're not meeting me there. So when they walk away, they're done, but then the grieving process 
it's already started because they were pulling back and pulling back and pulling back, but it's still ongoing after that relationship. So when I'm out there dating, I have to be conscious of divorcees. Okay, how long ago was your divorce? And it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's something to pay attention to that they will have a temporary adjustment period. It's the grieving process that they could tend to show up avoiding at that time. Is that the same for a long-term relationship? Yeah. Whether you were married or not? Absolutely. I think that grief shows up in wondrous ways, and it's another great tool, another great teacher for us. Grief knows no duration of the relationship. If you go out with somebody one time and you felt a deep connection in your in your body, not in your head, not in your gut, but if you feel that in your heart, a deep connection, and they don't want to see you again, you're still going to grieve. You know, you're faced with rejection, so that hurts. Well, you're grieving what you envisioned, or you're grieving, you're grieving what you hoped it would be, even if you're not anxiously attached, because that's a tendency of the anxious, right? Even if you're securely attached and you thought that there was going to be a second date, you can still grieve that person. And I think that you should. And so the modern day dating, the throwaway culture is perpetuating the toxicity that comes from not tuning into those feelings of grief. And we we brought up my breakup earlier and I chose that two and a half month period not to date at all. I took to TikTok to share my grieving story and it was a great mm-hmm. healing process. It was a part of the process, but... I had my two men's groups and I had my counselor and that grieving process happened naturally and healthily for me after an 11 month long relationship. And I felt the feels and I sat in my shit and I did the work. And when I got back out there, I was still facing all these fear of abandonment wounds. (laughs) (laughs) Haley, did that answer your question? Yeah. Thank you. I do have one other question just regarding like potentially having different attachment styles. I'm curious if you can have a different attachment style depending on the relationship. Like, could I have one sort of attachment with my husband and then a different sort of attachment with, say, my dad? 100%. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I, I love that you use those two family examples because I don't want to assume that they're similar, but I could see that there would be some similarities between the two, right? Maybe not the exact same, but there's some familiarity there. And let's just say that like somebody's husband is their safe place. It's a very secure relationship, great open communication, uh, deep intimate connection, uh, loving physical touch, good quality time together. And this is like our bubble. <laughs> Dr. Stan Tatkin calls it a, a couple bubble right? Where nothing gets into this couple bubble from the exterior. And that's what I was referring to earlier is when the anxiously attached goes to an opposite sex person to dump their relationship problems on, that's invading the couple bubble and not a very good choice for anybody. Gender, not, not, not important there. It could be either, right? So if, if your nuclear relationship or your uh, intimate relationship, the one that you spend the most time in is secure, it can be very healing for the other relationship, like with your father, that might need some healing along with it too. Like it's always ongoing. Uh, relationships are always evolving. I know that my relationship with my daughter is always evolving. And my adult relationships, as long as they're grounded in that couple bubble, 
can be very healing for my relationship with my daughter. Because in the context of both, I'm healing so much, so many wounds. Harville Hendricks is a great, a great therapist. He invented Imago style therapy. He says that we are born into relationship, we're wounded in relationship, and we're healed in relationship. And it's a powerful thing to remind ourselves of when we're like, why do I feel so safe with my husband? But then there's still conflict in my, my parental relationship. Well, stick with the couple bubble because it's healing for the other relationships that we're trying to repair over time and evolve as we evolve. Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you so much for explaining that. I think that's awesome. I will say Haley is, um, I think, one of my very few secure relationships that I have in my life. <laughs> stick with that as a friend. If she's modeling a healthy relationship behavior and, and a mm -hmm. foundation, then stick with that. Having those influences in our lives are, is a positive thing. So good to hear. Um, I have a – Haley, did you have any other questions? No, that was all I had. Okay, so – we wanted to keep this around an hour, but I do have one more question um, that kind of is pretty on point for this, I feel like. Um, so I was talking to a friend the other day about this, and I'm really interested to know your insight into it. So for me, I'll use me as a personal example for this. I have plenty of friends that I feel like I have very secure relationships with where I never feel anxious in my relationship with them. You know, there's never avoidant tendencies between us. We can go days, weeks without talking. Relationship doesn't change. Nobody's questioning the relationship on either end. But those are all friendships. So me and my friend were talking about why is when you start dating somebody, why is there so many more expectations hmm. on somebody that you're dating versus somebody that you're in a good relationship with as a friend? Hmm. Like, so for example, if I start dating with somebody, there's the expectation on both sides usually to talk all the time, right? Like that honeymoon phase, you want to talk to each other all the time. If that starts to go away, then somebody can get anxious about it. Like, is something going wrong? Mm -hmm. But like, I never experienced that with friendships. Right. Is it the intimacy between the two people that drives that mm. I don't know I'm just curious to know your thoughts because like should sure. it be similar to a friendship where you should be able to go time apart from each other and be secure and not freak out and be anxious or avoidant about yeah. it yeah this is a phenomenal question thank you very much for asking Jess and yes eventually I think that our intimate relationships end up in deep friendship where we can um, spend a weekend away I'm going away this weekend with the guys and if I had a partner I would really make it clear that I have zero cell reception in this place. I'm not available and I'm still thinking about you the whole time. I would enjoy you coming with me to this place at another time. That's a, that's a great place to end up in our relationships, our, our romantic partnerships. What I hear you describing is what's called relationship programming. And this is formed in our childhood and it's what we observed. It's what we learned and it's what was modeled for us as our relationship programming. So yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, her parents have been married for years. Like, <laughs> damn you, mom and dad. <laughs> your perfect <Right>. relationship. <laughs> right. 
my parents are like inseparable they do right. everything together like they are very very close with each other mm-hmm. and they've never like had time apart from each other or anything mm-hmm. so i feel like that makes sense right so i can understand how your narrative from your relationship programming would describe to you that like oh talking all day every day is natural and it's normal and i would say that in the beginning of a relationship it's not i would actually encourage people to not text throughout the entire day as you first start dating i do agree with this mm-hmm. and the reason there is because we want to keep a little bit of mystery involved we want to keep that fire that passion and that competitor that interest level a little bit higher and i'm wary of texting throughout the day one i have a very serious job and I'm very passionate about coaching people. So if I'm in coaching sessions on Monday evenings from 5 p.m. until 7 p.m. Um, every single Monday or 8 p.m. every single Monday, then I'm not available to text. And I could understand how an anxiously attached partner would uh, be a little bit unsettled early on in the relationship of like, hey, we texted all day Monday, but then at five o'clock, are, are you having dinner with your your actual family right now? Like, do you have a wife? And Um, Then I noticed you pick back up conversation at 9 p.m. What's up with that? Well, as we get to know each other and become kind of interwoven and interlaced into each other's lives in an interdependent way, well, then we can definitely clarify that as it comes. But I do want to keep a little mystery in in my early dating phase. And back to relationship programming is like what we learned, say like from Disney, the disnification of modern relationships has actually been purely destructive on the relationship programming that we're meant to have. Let's take uh, let's take Aladdin for example. Aladdin lied to this woman for three quarters of the movie, <laughs> and he lied egregiously about who he was. I can't even guess his enneagram type, um, but he definitely. It falls on the Enneagram at some place. And then when the lie comes out and she gets angry and she gets mad, there's not a whole lot of repair, quote unquote repair that goes into that relationship. It's really just the, just the dismification of that process of like, oh, all is forgiven. Now we're in love and now we're going to get married. And that's to our detriment that we were raised in this generation where we watched a lot of TV or we saw a lot of things that were generated through sitcoms for ratings, for viewers, to sell ad dollars. And like the only show I ever remember that actually had repair in it was Family Matters. But you know what else is in that TV show? They blatantly made fun of the nerd kid. And then when he was no longer a nerd, they finally accepted him and he got the girl. What kind of fucked up relationship programming have we been fed through TGIF (laughs) For 30 or 40 years, it goes back It goes back before that too. But like, I hope that gives us a glimpse into relationship programming and how ingrained it is into our, into our um, biology. It's actually called the social psychobiological um, dimension. Um, just put out a phenomenal episode with Talia Bombola. If you're looking for another guest on the podcast, listen to this episode that just came out this week. It's mind-blowing. And we Can you go say deep. that one more time? Sure. Talia Bambola is uh, my guest's name. And we we're talking about how to win the battle of the sexes. Okay. Yeah. We'll definitely check that out. Please do. 
That relationship programming makes a lot of sense. And I think that's why it's so easy for me to fall into those patterns with people when I first start talking to them. However, I do know plenty of people that that's not how their relationship works. I know that that's not how a relationship has to be, nor do I want it to be like that because I do want to keep some independence to myself. And so I I think right now for me personally, I going back into the dating scene, I feel like I'm trying to learn how can I tell somebody that I have these boundaries without them taking it personally and feeling like I'm not interested. Like I recently put on my dating profile, don't text me good morning because that's one thing that I've I've had a lot of men do to me recently. And my big thing is like, yeah, at the beginning when you're super, super into each other and you want to talk to each other all the time, it's fun. And like, but there's like a sense of consistency that you can't keep up once you start talking that much all the time. And then as soon as something shifts, somebody, usually me, gets anxious about it. And I'm like, I don't want to feel that. I don't want you to have a few busy days at work where you just texted me nonstop for a week straight and now I don't hear from you for three days and now I think I did something wrong. Maybe you are truly just busy, but like don't start shit out like that if you can't stay consistent with me because that just is too ang- too much anxiety for me. Right. Yeah, totally relate to that. And I can also see how detrimental it would be to our own mental health to create stories around why that person changed. Exactly. We don't want to end up making excuses or come up with stories for other people's behavior. We really do just want to approach it and like, hey, I'm curious about this kind of way. And Mm -hmm. I I heard you ask a question in there. Was it rhetorical or did you want an actual suggestion? I don't remember what I asked when I asked. You asked, how do I I set a boundary with somebody so um, so that I can be kind while also laying out the expectation that a little bit of independence is healthy for me right now. Is that what I heard you ask? Yeah. I, I would love your insight on it because it's something I'm trying mm-hmm. to do yeah. right now. But then again, I don't like conflict. So I hate sure. bringing up boundaries. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I really appreciate that you brought up your own dating profile and you said, don't text me good morning. As in, like, yeah, I, uh, forget, I forget the prompt, but sure. it was like one of the hinge prompts. Sure. I don't have the dating apps right now, so I can't pull it up and tell you what it exactly says. But I think it was mm, a non negotiable or something, I think. And I put, don't text me good morning. It was a really good one because it got a lot of people talking. Um, maybe the wrong, maybe the wrong type of person wanted to engage. Maybe the wrong type that. of person, potentially, you're right. But, but yeah, it was mainly just, you know, like, to start the con- and that was to help me start the conversation mm-hmm. with them yeah. to be like I don't need you to text me all day every day yeah that's not what I'm looking for right out of the gate here right I don't need you to text me good morning I don't need you to text me good night that's not what I'm looking for mm, I agree with you that that's really hard to sustain especially if like I do get busy or I do travel Friday through Sunday for a men's retreat to the mountains like oh all of a sudden I, I've spoken to this person for two weeks and all of a sudden I go I go ghost over a weekend. Yeah, I could see how confronting that would be for somebody I just met. And I agree with you that sending a good morning or a good good night text early on in dating is actually uh, going to harm us more than it's going to serve us. And I want to use this hinge prompt as uh, as an example of how to set a boundary in a kind way. Sound good? Mm-hmm. 
So I heard you say, don't text me good morning as a non-negotiable for you, which is a completely valid non-negotiable. I would encourage everybody to set a boundary around the good morning text. I've been set that boundary. I had a person say, hey, I appreciate them, but it's not necessary. Don't do that. And I learned real quick that that's not what the feminine wants. So rather than saying, uh, say like you want to set the boundary and instead of saying to the person that you're dating, don't text me good morning, uh, we could rephrase that and actually say, hey, you know what? I noticed that you text me right when you wake up in the morning and I appreciate it. And what I value in the morning is actually my morning routine. It's a quiet period of time for me. And so if I could just ask for the time for me to get ready in the morning of like, I like to sit with my coffee. I like to take a bath or I like to take a shower. I like to cook myself breakfast before I even touch my phone. So just wanted to let you know that I'm not going to see your good morning text until after 9 a.m. So if you'd like to engage with me, that's actually a better time to do so. You definitely said it a lot better way. And I don't say don't text me good morning when somebody texts me good morning. I'm not that cold. But I just used that. I put it out a little bit more cold for sure on my mm-hmm. dating app. Yeah. Um, to make it sound a little bit more punch, you know. Right. But but yeah, I did actually I did have a conversation with somebody recently that he was texting me all day and I did finally be like, "Hey, I just want to, you know, like I appreciate you wanting to talk to me, but I want to let you know that you don't have to text me all day long. I'm not going to lose interest yeah. in you just because you're not like texting me mm-hmm. 24/7." And he was like, "Oh, Great. Like, I was like, he was like surprised. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, like, yeah, no, like I'd prefer to just maintain, I would prefer to ha- us to have a consistency that we can maintain mm-hmm. um, is basically what I said. And I felt like I had a good conversation with him about it and I was pleasantly surprised by it because that was the first time I've had that, like had to like call out that boundary with somebody, but yeah, I was proud of myself, you know. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> pretty impressive (laughs) good for you yeah boundaries are really sexy yeah I've been learning that lately Mm -hmm. so do you just want to wrap it up and let us our listeners know where they can find you um a little bit about your podcast where they can listen to that the name of it um and all of that good stuff yeah thank you very much for having me on this was so much fun uh the best way to get a hold of me is searching my name Dave Glazer on any platform on my website TikTok or Instagram are the best places to get a hold of me to take a candid look into modern dating through the lens of Enneagram, attachment theory, social media, text messaging, and dating apps. If you are interested, I do want to bring you back on to talk more about the modern dating stuff because I know we didn't get into that, Um, but we appreciated having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like you just were like super compassionate with like everything that we shared too, so definitely appreciate that and then all of your insight too so thank you and is there anything else that you want to share with listeners before we cut this off anything that's important yeah thank you very much jess i think that the most important thing is that having valuable friendships and family members to speak to is in invaluable actually however having an objective support system around you like a counselor or a coach or a group work is even more so. They oftentimes will rise up and step up even more than your family members or close friends because they care about you without taking care of you. They care for you without taking care of you. 
right? And they are also an objective observer who are going to call you on your shit when you're fucking up. And that's truly invaluable. All right. Well, we will let you go, but thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Anytime.